0: All right, I want to tell the story of Keanu Reeves through the movies Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And this is another piece of synchromistic storytelling. And the way I like to go about it is I follow an actor through different roles. And when you do that, you can see some pretty interesting things. Um, and you do that not necessarily by how the movies are the same as much as it is how the symbols within the movies and maybe some of the subplots of the movies are the same and they're linked together through the same actor. And this isn't necessarily true for all films within the actor's filmography but um, usually it's, it's, it's connected to with significant roles. So for Keanu Reeves, um, let's first look at his name. Um, I remember once reading a uh, a long analysis about his um, his lineage, and I don't recall uh, specifically what it said, um, but I remember thinking I remember what I was thinking at the time and my feeling, and I was like, "Wow, that that's uh, that's kind of deep." So, um, you could do a little bit of research on that. But I wanted to get to the phonetics of his name. Um, I think that there's a, you know, a, a a real reason or a logical reason why he's named Keanu, but regardless of what that is, his name has two different, um, uh, primary, uh, sounds, the key and Anu. And from the Sumerian mythological record, they're two gods. They're, they're, um, their god of the sky was known as Anu, and his um, his goddess, his his partner, was Ki. So we have the 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 male and the female joined together in the name Kianu, and this is also where we get um where we get uh, the Anunnaki from as well. So that in itself is uh is interesting, and at the end of this video. I will kind of link it all back together. So let's go and look at Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and The Matrix. And I'm really interested in the first Matrix films. Uh, film. I I think there were three of them. I've only I've seen one and a half of them. Uh, and then there and then Bill and Ted's. Bill and Ted's is probably the movie that really introduced Keanu Reeves to the. Um, the american public and um i'm not certain how old he is but he's a teenager early 20s in this film and then 10 years later the matrix was released and this movie was at the time it was uh it was just a a, a not only like a blockbuster but it also changed um it also changed the way which uh uh films were made, like the, the effects that were done in the film, and then also kind of like its strange sort of like um it was like uh porn violence, the way it would show the different sort of um the characters dodging bullets and that really introduced a whole new kind of um, you know, style stylistic um presentation of movies i don't know but that all started with the matrix and i don't even want to get into like you know what the matrix is about you know is it literal is it symbolic you know i don't know about that so i'm going to go on a different a different level and i want to show you how these two are connected and the most obvious has to do with um the use of the phone booth it, it plays a very very significant um uh Role within both of the films. Um, if you're not familiar with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, it's about um, a couple of kids and they get um, and they they time travel and they time travel through this phone booth. And within the Matrix, I'm assuming most people have seen that uh, the characters are able to enter the Matrix or leave the Matrix through the phone booth. And so uh, we see that the phone booth represents. Um, this vehicle for um, transiting. And it's interesting because the first one, Bill and Ted's, it's time. And then the Matrix, it's it's more like a dimension. It's like one above the other. And I guess time is a dimension. So they're similar, but they're a little bit different. But that's an obvious connection there. And then it gets even more interesting because in both of these films, there are characters, these kind of like father figures who guide the Keanu Reeves character and in Bill and Ted's he had a he had a partner he was Ted uh, Theo you know that's what Ted is short for for Theodore and he had his partner Bill and in um in uh The Matrix it was just Keanu as Neo so we've got um We've got Bill and Ted, and they are, they are uh, taken under by this character here, played by George Carlin, and his name was Rufus. And then we have the same sort of scenario, similar scenario, not exactly the same, but similar scenario with Lawrence Fishburne here, who plays Morpheus. And again, just like the sounds of the name, Rufus and Morpheus, you know, there's a, there's a phonetic similarity, and phonetics is really, really important. But you can even see they're like uh they're dressed alike. Um here we've got we've got Morpheus. He's got more or less a sh- he does have a shaved head and he's always with his sunglasses and he's got an overcoat and he's dressed real sharp. And then we've got George Carlin's Rufus and it's very very similar. He's got um you know uh his hair is 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 pulled back but it's a lot of forehead. It's very similar. He's always wearing glasses and he's always got on this 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 trench coat and he's looking sharp, you know, so it's like they're the same sort of character. And I'm not necessarily suggesting this was done on purpose. Maybe it was, maybe it was done as a goof, you know, like a, 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 an Easter egg. But when we're working at the deeper levels, um, what is done consciously is not necessarily the reason why things are done. Um, you know, that's the whole nature of a Freudian slip. But anyway, so I don't know if this, if if these were done purposefully or not done purposefully. But what we do know is that it happened, and it's happening on so many levels that it is, um, it has weight. It has, it has uh, substance to it. So the um, the storyline gets gets interesting in. Uh, bill and ted's excellent adventure and if you hadn't seen it for a long time and if you have like a memory of seeing it as a as a child um it's pretty much like you'll remember like there were these funny scenes where they would go back in time and they'd meet like socrates and napoleon and like you know those are the memories which which are are most strong in um most minds but there was a scene in there and so i i i watched this movie um a handful of years ago, I want to show it to my boys. It was like age appropriate for them. And um, I was really blown away when I saw this particular portion of the movie. And, and uh, I don't have a clip uh, of it, which I can show here. But I encourage you to go and, um, if you're interested, maybe go watch the movie. And you, and you want to see this one strange scene. So the character Rufus was more or less answering to these three, this high council, what is um, And it is this guy here who is the, the leader who then kind of like it links back with Morpheus also, because they're both black dudes, and they both have sunglasses on. You could see in this particular instance, um, uh, they have the same expression. Uh, this actor was actually, uh, what's his name, like Clarence, um, he was the saxophone player for Bruce Springsteen. In fact, all three of them were were uh, popular musicians in the 80s. This guy's from the Tubes and she was from the Motels. Um, but they were like the leaders and you know it's from the future, but it really isn't, to- you, you're not told anything about this future. And they send um, they send Rufus back to find Bill and Ted because there's something which they need to do in order for um, in order for uh, a certain destiny, a certain timeline to come into fruition. And that's always just kind of like in the background of the plot of this movie. Like if you watch it, as I said, like what you remember is like the the hijinks of like traveling in time. But the whole thing is based upon Bill and Ted doing this, this, uh, it's actually a project, that's what they have to do, doing this project, and then that enables them to continue down a particular journey where sometime in the future they become very, very significant. It's never explained why they're significant, it's just that they are, and and everyone treats them like in this godlike way. And that's very, very similar to Neo in The Matrix. So let's go, uh, what other slides do I have here of that? Um, oh, okay, so there's also a similarity between the three characters. So you got the black dude, you got the, the, the white lady, and you got the uh, the balding white dude here. And not exactly in the same sort of relationship, but similar. Like Morpheus was definitely the leader, and this guy's definitely the leader. And then you had Trinity right here, who was his right hand, and she's his right hand. And then you got, you got Cypher, you know, Lucifer, you know, the, the, the rebel. You know, maybe more like a Judas, because he turns his back on him. So you know this guy's not trustworthy right here. But, but you know, that's, that's another similarity which we see. So, um, da, da, da. what's interesting is, and, and I don't really have anything to go with this, and maybe this is explored in the later um, Bill and Ted's movies, and I haven't seen them, but, but Bill and Ted become musicians, like famous rock musicians, and, but they seem to transcend that to become more than just like a, uh, an entertainer, and, and the, their band was called Wild Stallions. And horses are certainly significant, but I don't really have. Uh, I have a, on my radar is like there's something there, but I don't have anything fleshed out. But I do want to bring out another interesting point or similarity uh, within these two movies before we get to maybe what they're what this is all about. Um, the other the other part would be. Uh, looking at this scene from The Matrix and comparing it to a very very similar scene to um in in Bill and Ted's so in The Matrix this is in the beginning um Neo who is the one and Neo is an anagram of one as well um he is contacted by Morpheus when he was in his office cubicle and he's hiding from like the police from the agents from the sentinels i think that's what they were called um and he's being guided through the phone you know outside of the matrix like what to do and where to go and he's ducking and hiding in this this um this farm of cubicles and the exact same scene, or not the same scene, but very, very similar. The same concept happens in Bill and Ted's, and so there's this part in Bill and Ted's where they need to go, and um, they need to go and and break out uh, some of the the characters or the the historical figures which they. What they did was they went back in time and took historical figures and then they brought them to a um a presentation at school. And then the characters they got arrested and they have to break them out um of jail. That's kind of like the 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 setup of the scene. So what we see is Bill and Ted right here, and they're breaking into the, the sheriff's office um to go and free the historical figures. And it just so happens that um that the, the sheriff is Bill's father. And so that also is, you know, another theme which we see in these movies, is, is particularly the father, the Saturn um, role, all of that is, is, is important. But we're not going to go that deep into that now. What we're interested in is the fact that now they're in a police office, and what they have to do, is you could see right here, they're like sneaking around and they're hiding from cubicle to cubicle. And then at one point, they duck right here. I think this is where they duck. You could see them hiding right here behind this this desk as people walk by. And then from the fax machine right here comes a, a fax from themselves from the future, which tells them to duck which is very very similar because in the same in the matrix you got Keanu talking on the phone right now to Morpheus and Morpheus is telling him through the phone like to duck you know the guys are coming so you could see there's this like similarity we're we're, we're seeing all of these etheric lines connecting these films that are telling us like you know there's a connection and you also see it just in the similarity of the archetypes i said this is the father figure right here and we see like the sentinel right here and this was uh uh, his boss, Neo's boss, from um, from this scene. You know, uh, before this, he's talking to his boss, and it's this actor. And you can see they all have like this general similarity in terms of how they are um, presented. And so that's that's like uh, what we want to kind of begin this 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 presentation with. I mean, that in itself is pretty interesting, in my opinion, but. The second part is what this is talking about and particularly from an esoteric and um, mystery religion perspective. And it's at this point I'm going to cut off the uh, YouTube analysis and the remainder of the video is just going to be available on my Subscribestar page. So let's go make that transition now. So. What's important about this film, remember remember uh, The Matrix. This was a huge film. This film, it broke box office records and it, it changed. It changed like uh, uh, the way movies were made or special effects. You know, it was a big deal in Hollywood. And the people behind it were uh, two brothers. They were known as the uh, Wachowski brothers. And prior to th- the Matrix. They really weren't household names. They really weren't well known. I don't. I don't have their cinema, their their filmography in front of me, but there wasn't really anything to note before this. So this was this movie is really really significant to their star rising as well. And if you're familiar with the story of the Wachowski, Wachowski the Wachowski brothers. It's, you know, this movie came out in 1999, and then by 2010, 10 years later, so, ha, huh, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. So we've got like this, 1989, and then 1999, we got 10 years, and we got 10 years after that, and then we have that both of the Wachowski brothers have transitioned into trans women. And when this, you know, I'm, I'm recording this in 2020. So I'm recording this even 10 years after that. Uh, I'm assuming it's, it's before 2010. I just see right here that says before 2010, they were known as the Wachowski brothers. And so then after that, I suppose, is, is that's probably when they both transitioned and they both became known as uh, Lily and Lena. Lily and Lena. You could see what they look like before and what they look like um, now. And when they... When they transitioned, um, that was still kind of like controversial. You know, this was um, this was one of the the slow drips of introducing transgender into the mainstream collective mind as a a they normalized it. And so this is a really, really deep, deep topic, and I want to go a little bit um, into that to understand. Like that's what we're seeing here, because remember, Keanu's name—his re- name is—is name is, is the masculine and feminine, the blending of of the god and the goddess, what's known as the sacred marriage. And we're seeing we're seeing quite literally the, the um, credited brain child's children, brain children behind the matrix go through this transition from male to female. So Hollywood, Hollywood is the primary vehicle for, um, for changing public opinion but not so much chain public opinion as much as it is public mores and I want to describe this very much from like a technical perspective like this is how it works as opposed to like you know this is a good thing or this is a bad thing like you know each person can come up with their own um, with their own uh, value system but it's a thing and this is what ha- this is what has happened I mean Hollywood is pretty much the, the reason why, um, you know, if you go back to like really before the 60s and you look at like racial relations then and racial relations now and just like typically like how, how the, 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 the general idea of like how your typical white person would, would picture in their mind the typical black person. And it's very, very different. There was a time where it was, uh, you know, I'm not saying racism isn't around today, but it was much, much different then. There was a there was a real dehumanization in the fundamental thought process of how different races saw one another, and it was through Hollywood in the '70s, primarily '60s and '70s, through the humanization of of really black people i mean there was like if you think about like white america back then there was there was there was a segregation and there was a a non-understanding of people as human beings and so part of what hollywood did through the introduction of black characters with depth and then also at the same time, kind of um, ridiculing the uh, ridiculing um, this bigoted mindset, like the Archie Bunkers. Like this is how slowly you can change the the value system of a very large population of people. And it it, it happened in racial relations, and then it happened in 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 sexuality. You know, it's there was once a time that. Homosexuality had a stigma that it does not have to this day. I mean, arguably, it still has. Uh, it, it 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 is not a it, no. I'm going to say it is as mainstream as it comes right now. You know, it's 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 part of the American way. Like there there is not a stigma anymore, and the we've also seen this done through transgender, and all of these movements have all happened. Through the vehicle of Hollywood and what Hollywood is able to do is it is able to take an idea and humanize it so you can relate and sympathize. And that's what it happened. that's that's how you do it. Like you introduce black characters in the sixties and seventies, you introduce gay characters in the seventies and eighties, and then transgender characters really in the two thousands. So I would say like right around when this, this transition happened, like we had a couple things that were going on in um in the collective space. And that was the movie I think it was called Boys Don't Cry. And it starred um I can't even think of her name right now uh but it was a very very well received film it was academy uh, academy award winning film this comes a couple years after broke back mountain and and when a movie is very very well received by the the um press and is award winning regardless of its box office um of its box office success and I'm, both of those movies i believe were were box office successes, but it was it is a confirmation in the collective mind that this has the stamp of approval. Like this is how you can see what um, what the social movements are happening, um, and so this this kind of the 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 release of Boys Don't Cry. Um, I should probably look at the timeline before before starting this, but go and look for yourself. Uh, the Wachowski brothers, um, who were really known as, you know, their, their film work is very like, you know, violent, very masculine. And so like to see them transition to, to women was like a big deal in the, um, you know, in the, in the, in the pop culture world. And then shortly after that, we see, uh, Bruce Jenner, who is literally the symbol of the manliest man, um, in the 1970s, he then becomes like, you know, the first real knowing, you know, humanized sort of, uh, uh, example of transitioning from male to female. Um, and this is kind of like in that stream of what was going on in, in mainstream popular culture at the time. But the, so where to go with this? So the real depth of uh, of what this points at goes as far deep as you can imagine. So these are these are kind of the stories which are put out for the public. but this is always has been business as usual for you know, the hands that rule society and it's it's, where to go so um elite groups this right here is bohemian grove like like men in drag right here is a picture of matt damon in the movie uh the good shepherd which was the telling of the uh um the fictitional telling of how the cia came to be and you know the importance of of men in drag there you know the the um Harvard Hasty Pudding Club and drag right there. We have this video of from I don't know when this was, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, where we see Donald Trump uh, with Rudy Giuliani in drag. Um, J. Edgar Hoover, the founder of the the uh, FBI, was known to be a dra- uh, to be a cross dresser. Um, you know, I don't know if this is true or not, but I always just assumed that Janet Reno and um, Janet Napolitano were, you know, I thought they were men. You know, whether or not they were uh, cross-dressers or not. I, You know, I, that was my personal opinion. We're probably all familiar with the story of Joan Rivers um, saying how um, uh, Michelle, Michelle Obama was transgender and her dying shortly after that. Um, and I'll tell you what, when I saw this... This being said about um Harvey Weinstein, like this was just a couple weeks ago, about on the on the um his criminal trial, and all of these witnesses are saying like um something didn't look normal, talking about his groin. I remember noticing that, and I didn't know notice balls in the sack. I just saw a penis, and then this other this other woman testified that, um, Weinstein's genitalia looked like a vagina and, you know, I'm not, I'm I'm not picking on a man. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm saying like, there is a very, very important, an important role in, um, in masculine and feminine and blending of genders both historically within the the um the ruling class but also we can see a a history within um The governmental class as well and I I separate the governmental class from the ruling class the ruling class doesn't need paychecks so okay so um, let's get to well what we want to go and understand or have a context or a lens to look through when when looking at all of the gender the 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 significance of changing gender is we want to go back a little bit further. We want to talk about the divine hermaphrodite. Within the the alchemical uh, uh, philosophy or tradition, um, the great work concludes. With the divine hermaphrodite, which is the coming together of like whether it's called spirit and matter or masculine and feminine, but it's the coming together of opposites. And it's my opinion that you can't really, to understand what this is all about, it is on a much, much deeper level. When you say this equals that, this one thing, well, you're missing the point. Because all of this is on the more fundamental creative level of our reality. And so when they talk about alchemy, they're talking about about the creation process of just whatever life is. And so the coming together of the opposites always creates the third. This is the sacred marriage talks about the coming together of the opposites. Um, the yin and the yang, that's the opposites. The Tao Te Ching, dao that is the telling the same story. baphomet you know, it's the same thing. All of these symbols, it's all telling the story of the coming together of the opposites to create a third. And there is a fundamental truth to that. I mean, don't take my word on it. Like, you know, go and, and have like a man and a woman where the woman is fertile and have them, have them have sex and see if you can create a third. Like, you know, that's literally how we work. So there's a truth to this. Um, but the truth can be understood in, very diff- in various different ways. So, um, you know, and, and it's my personal opinion that we live in an inverted culture. And so that's what makes talking about some of these topics very very complex is because we're we're talking about truths but we're also talking about inversions of truth and we're talking about morality and and judgment and it gets it gets very very dicey to be able to walk that line in a way which is not um alienating because i want this to be understood not from the level of of judgment but from the level of like this is how this is how it works and so part of what we're seeing uh you know with with this this history this kind of like nod nod wink wink of um you know, the, the ruling class and the, the governing class is, um, significance of men being women is, uh, there, there's, there's certainly, well, within, within that there's an underhandedness. It's not like in your face. It's kind of like, you know, it's maybe even done in a mocking way, uh, so that in itself in my opinion is a sign like you know it's that's the nature of of the energy of how it's being worked with but there's undoubtedly a social agenda just like i talked about before with the um with the the how hollywood has been able to change um the general perceptions of different values in the in the mainstream population and like literally in one, in one generation, they've been able to change the value system. Um, we're seeing that really heighten up and, and, and a lot of it, you know, obviously is done like, not like, Hey, we're changing the value system, but that's what's happening. And we're seeing a lot of it being done. I would also say like in, in an inverted way, um, and what I mean by that is I think it's like a, it doesn't serve us. It's a destructive way. But then at the same time, we're going to go and look that there's something really interesting about this idea of transgender on, a, um, on what I would say maybe like naughty on, in an upright way, in a, in a non-inverted way. So let me go and, and give an example of what I'm thinking with inverted way. So we're going to begin with just like BPA. You know, BPA is like this chemical which is found in everything. And it has been known since the 30s. What does it say? Since the early 30s to be an endocrine disruption, um, an endocrine, what, what's the word they use for it? Messes up the endocrine system. It, uh, it, it produces, you know, it's, it's been known to feminize men through messing around with estrogen i think it's estrogen not progesterone where does it say in here yeah it can mimic the female sex hormone estrogen and so this has been known since since the early since the the early 30s and we find bpa in everything particularly in uh stuff for like babies you know when when bodies are growing and we see, like you know, BPA's and water bottles. It's it's food storage containers, and it's the liners of um, uh, water pipes. You know, everything like has this BPA, this slow drip of like messing up the the sex hormones within human beings, and. It's probably like uh, I would suggest like you know a small amount because like when they talk about the controversy and we're like well it's really so small it doesn't it doesn't have any sort of effect I'm like Maybe, but what about the slow drip? But um, over time, and even more specifically, it's the intergenerational. When we've got like four generations slowly affected by BPA, it is going to change the vehicle of the human body. It's going to change the, the chemical makeup of male and female. And this was done by, like, look right here, of uh, workers at IG Farben Industries. IG Farben Industries is the Nazi industry. And they got a lot of their information from the Rockefeller Institute and the Eugenics Institute. Like, all of these guys are are tied hand-in-hand. General Electric, Bayer, they're all, like, you know, working with BPA from the earliest stages. And, you know, where does this lead? it leads to this, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not picking on some 12-year-old kid who was born into something, but this Desmond is amazing, is an example of, um, of what I would call an inversion of Of something that seems to be much much deeper and this inversion began probably like I would say like when uh, at least the 1930s and if you have any sort of um, if you have any sort of uh, um, doubt in that and how this is being sold to us um, go in and research or search uh, Desmond is amazing and I think it's Good Morning America and watch it it looks exactly like an infomercial if you've ever seen an infomercial with people like sitting in the uh sitting in the the audience and they're cheering and they're clapping on command it's exactly what it is it's because it's a sales job it's a sales job but let's go back to like the deeper stuff so this is all this this kind of alchemical sort of um philosophy it's part of the mystery religions and it goes back as far as like i don't know how far back the mystery religions go that's beyond my pay grade but it goes back a long time and usually just by the name of of mystery religions we know that there's a um there's a uh uh there's a hidden element to it but there's also an element which which goes beyond the mystery schools. Well, I guess maybe arguably, because I want to use two examples right here. So Carl Jung, who's arguably, you know, was was involved in some really, really like uh, deep, involved with the deep mysteries himself. But his concept of the anima and the animus, saying that within every male, within every man is an unconscious female, his anima, and every female has an unconscious male uh, within her unconscious, uh, the animus. And it's dealing with this idea of, um, you know, there within all of us human beings, we have that opposite gender, and it is, you know, more or less the blending of the two, which is when we become um, when we become, uh, full individuals and I'll let that like sink in for a little bit. Like, you know, I, you need to, to be able to look at this sort of information outside of, of judgment and, and narratives. This is true for all of us. Like, you know, what is truth and where has truth been inverted and, and like, what does it even mean in my practical life? But there's something really interesting where it's saying here about within each male is a female and each female is a male within the mystery religions, within the secret societies, within all magic is this, this idea of, uh, sympathetic magic of, of the law of, um, what is that law even called? Where where similarities. So by acting as something else, you are able to invoke it and tap into that underlying energy. And so I would suggest that's what you're seeing with so many of these like elite institutions of like always having men in drag is the importance of activating their own anima. You know, regardless if they actually go through um, perhaps a... uh, uh, a, a gender reassignment surgery I don't know um, but this is part of like that sort of like deep mystery dance but it's not just Carl Jung that talks about it if you go in, and you look at shamanism and you do some some research on shamanism and from like a more of like a, 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 um, a topic of study approach as opposed to like applications You'll see that in many, many shamanic traditions that there is this understanding that the shaman has to come uh, during a point of their life, if not the remainder of their life, they live as the opposite gender. You know, the, the if it was a male shaman, he becomes a woman. If it's a female shaman, she becomes a man. And so we're beginning to see, we see like in many, many different places there is this... this um, There's this embodiment of, of being able to, to you know, what what's being called right now, like this gender fluidity. And, like, you know, we're seeing, like, what I would call uh, very inverted practices when we see young men and young women uh, giving hormone disruptors in order to change how they're naturally going to grow. Um, but there does seem to be something to this. There is a truth to this. If you just go and you can look at it and then how it's expressed, I suppose, and understood, that's a different topic. But the question becomes now like, well, okay, and if this has always been around, and if this has always been like in the background of the the, the, the ruling and the priest class, why is it becoming so public now? Why is it being ruled ro- or rolled out to the public? Why are we being sold this like an infomercial? Why is this being put into our water? Well, that's when we come to the age of Aquarius. Because the mystery religions, they go by the great calendar. So remember, astrology more than interpretation is a calendar system. And the age of Aquarius refers to a period of time and there are people whose job it is is to make life on earth in a very general sense be a mirror to the to the story in the heavens so as we move into the age of aquarius and if you're interested in what the age of aquarius is from like maybe a more um like objective level like from an astronomical level like you know there's there are there's like a logic behind it like the age of aquarius has to do with what's rising on the eastern horizon in the northern hemisphere on um like the equinox or something but like there's there's a reason why i looked into it i wasn't able to verify anything but you know i i know that that that's like kind of the story but like we are definitely being told we are entering the age of aquarius in the age of Aquarius, one of the aspects associated with it, one of the archetypes, has to do with gender and gender reversal. And so, why do I say that? Um, well, first is we look at um, the Aquarius is known as the water bearer, and it is normally thought of for if you're not if you're familiar with astrology but not particularly well versed, like the assumption would be, oh. Aquarius is a water sign there are um, four elements and there are three signs in each of the four elements and that makes up the the zodiac and so water being one and and it would make sense that the water bear would be a water sign but it's not it's an air sign and the elements correspond to genders air and fire are masculine not necessarily like masculine like being a human but masculine more like young and water and and earth are yin, they're, they're receptive. And so we have this, this water bearer, you know, by name it has a, a female um, implication, but by element it is masculine. You don't see that anywhere else in the zodiac. And then the second, the second piece is the, the, the Aquarius symbol is most often shown as a man as the water bearer. But the water bearer, like from a traditional um, from a t- traditional perspective, that's always been a a role of the the female, the woman in in the the society, and so we see this man doing a woman's job. We see this water name sign in an air element. We see we see this mixture, this blending of the different. Um, of the different uh um, genders from an astrological model and so as we are being moved into this age of Aquarius whether you think that's a um like an objective truth or it's just a manufactured like story done by the told by the 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 priest class that rules our world you know that's up to you to decide but that's what's happening and if you have any questions if you if, if any question if this is not part of like what's happening in hollywood i'm gonna bring up the movie the 40 year virgin and for if anyone i mean that whole movie just like the name like virgin and and and, and venus and and virgo and for like there's so much depth in that in just like you know the subtext of that movie and the title but where it becomes very obvious is if you've seen the movie and if you remember the very last scene it was completely out of place and it has, but it was probably the most memorable it was very, very like, you know, interesting to watch. And it was the entire cast singing, let the sun in the dawning of the age of Aquarius. And so they're telling you like we're, this is the beginning of this age And where it gets interesting is, like, as I was putting these slides together, I found this article, and it's, it's, here's the, the, I think it was the director, maybe the writer of The 40-Year-Old Virgin, um, and he's telling the story and the reason why this, this song made the end of the movie, and he comes up with this really kind of, like, understandable reason. But, um, you know, maybe that was exactly how it happened, or maybe that's a cover story. I don't know. But all I can say is... These are the stories that are being told to us. We're seeing Neo, we're seeing the, the one become the one, right? We've got the, the, the two brothers. We've got the Wachowski brothers, and they become the, they become the one by blending of the opposites. Neo is the one. Theo is the one. There's something which is being communicated. It is my personal opinion that there's a lot of inversion out there. There's a lot of pathways I don't want to go down, but I also think that there is a a wherever this synchromysticism comes from, there is a revelation of like this is what's going on, and as you understand how this game is really played, it also um can change the way which you play the game as well as they say as one door shuts a window opens so i'm going to wrap it up now uh 50 minutes I was saying this was going to be about 20 minutes um questions comments um put them in the put them on the subscribe star i would love to go deeper i know i covered a lot really fast it's a fascinating topic um and it's uh, something which I think is very worthy of analysis and 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 really thought in terms of being able to understand what exactly we are living through. So this is Mike. Thanks for listening. Until the next.